Please pray with me. Oh, Lamb of God, what privileges are is to come together as Your family and to behold Your worth and to realize afresh what You have done for us, Jesus, Lamb of God. And to be reminded again of the love that a Father would have for sinners like us. That He would send His only begotten, the Lamb of God, to come and to take away the sins of the world. Father, we thank You for Your Spirit that unites us in Christ. And Spirit, we ask You would come and You would fill this place with Your presence. And we would look back and remember that scandalous night that one would die in our place so that we could live. Father, a love like that demands a response. It demands our very lives. Spirit, remind us afresh so we can worship our Savior together and rejoice in who we now are in Christ Jesus. And it's in His powerful name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. Special welcome to all of you. If you're here visiting with us, maybe you're in town because of Thanksgiving. Uh, Special welcome to you if you are visiting with us for the very first time. Our hope and prayer is you find authentic worship of a true and living God and a warm family of believers that gather in His name every week knowing how much broken sinners like us need a perfect Savior and rejoicing in the reality we have Him in Jesus Christ. If you see the closest to an aisle, if you look for a friendship pad, sign in for you and your family. Take note of those who are worshiping beside you. In the bulletin, there's quite a few things there that let me call your attention to. A busy week, another very busy week at Orangewood. We're so thankful. Uh, This Thursday, we have our Thanksgiving breakfast. It's a great time, moms, to get the rest of the family out of the house uh, or for the whole family to come. We offer this gift to our community. We would love to feed you. This is something our deacons have done for years, so we're so excited to be able to host it yet again. Look for an insert as well. Hey, the Restore Orlando Christmas Party, something that we've had the privilege of being a part of for years, is right around the corner. Yes, Advent is here. And we need you. We need you to show some uncommon generosity to our community around us. Because what God has done for us, the most amazing story of a father's uncommon generosity provides sinners like us a son and a Savior. So you'll see an insert here. We need quite a few volunteers, quite a few presents. There'll be a tree out here next week that you can grab a tag from. It'll tell you what kind of present to buy. Uh, You'll see all kinds of volunteer opportunities. Will you take this, and if you can, fill it out and put it in the uh, uh, offering at the end of the service. Come out and put it in the baskets or uh, sometime uh, get it to us ASAP. You'll see some other things there. Um, Advent chili uh, coming up. Um, and some other great things. Hey, next Sunday, next Sunday, come uh, and be ready to worship. We got a special uh, treat for you next week. Uh, I'll be here, but uh, I will not be preaching. Hopefully, you're going to say, okay, that is a special treat. Um, but one of my uh, dear friends, Pastor William Andrews, he's a uh, 
very, very tall, 6'9", African-American uh, pastor who's got a church on Mercy Drive, is leaving his congregation to come and to share his story. So you don't want to miss it. Invite your friends and neighbors. This would be a great time to uh, really invite guests as well. Welcome. It's great to have you. Let me give you a little bit of a heads up. This morning's going to be a bit different. Um, I'm going to divide my sermon into two parts. The first part's really just reading the story. This morning we got one of those stories that Scripture gives to us. It's, it just kind of could stand by itself. We could just read this story and connect the dots to Jesus and worship. So the first part of the story, the first part of the sermon, really just will be the story. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to read, and we're, matter of fact, we're going to read like verse by verse. And we're going to stop after each verse and kind of discuss what that will look like. Then we'll get back and we'll worship. Um, and after a few more songs, uh, I'll come back and kind of say this, so what? What does this mean to us? And then we're going to gather around the table today. So it's a great day. We're so glad you're here. Um, if you are here and a little uncomfortable because we're doing things a little differently, just enjoy. May the Spirit of God truly bless all that is said and done today. If you'll turn me in your Bibles to Genesis 22. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 19, and then we're going to read in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19. Let's be mindful that this is God's very holy, without error, will never lead us astray word. And oh, what a story he has to tell us today. Let's read together. We've been talking about Abraham. We've been talking about the promises that God has made to Abraham, off-the-chart promises. Promise, promises to be a blessing to Abraham so much that Abraham will bless the whole world. Promising descendants to Abraham that are going to be more numerous than the stars. God, who Abraham calls friend, and God, who calls friend, has had an amazing life, highs and lows, and now we get to really the pinnacle of his life, and an incredible story. Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. What are these things? Last week we started off in chapter 15 and it said the exact same words. After these things, we want to connect the dots. What has happened in Abraham's life? Well, there's been a birth, good news. But the birth wasn't as God intended it to be. The birth wasn't through Sarah, his wife. The birth came as a result of Abraham and Sarah trying to work their own plan. And some servant girl named Hagar in a relationship that God wasn't pleased with. And what came from that was a son, and his name was Ishmael. And this son that Abraham loved so dearly, he wasn't the promised son, and Ishmael, just the chapter before, was driven away. Oh, the pain of a father to lose a son. That is what happened. Ishmael has been born, but also the birth of Isaac has come. The one whose name means laughter. This old woman, Sarah, gave birth, and they couldn't believe that God would bless them at the age that they were at, 100 years old. And they named this promised seed, the hope of all of Israel, the hope of the world, laughter. Because the joy and the laughter 
that he has brought to the family and the hope that he has. Abraham's a blessed man. Others are, are trying to get treaties with him. And that's kind of what these things have happened. And now it says this, God tested him. The book of James says that God doesn't test, tempt us to sin. He can't do that. But God does bring in things to our lives to make us clear who he is and who we are. To refine us. And wouldn't you think at the end of Abraham's life, wouldn't you think that after everything that he's been through, that God wouldn't have to tempt him anymore? Hasn't Abraham proven himself enough? And yet, at this very ripe old age of probably 125, God tests him and calls to him. And he responds. Verse 2. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Oh, the incredible words of God. What in the world? This is the promised seed. And you're going to tell me now, take your son. Let me be clear which one I'm talking about. Your only son. What about Ishmael? No, no. The promised son. Take your son, your only son, Isaac. Remember, the one that you love. Every word that God uttered to Abraham pierced his heart, broke his heart. It cannot be true. Take the promise that I was so long and waited for and sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show you each word clearly singeing his heart. So Abraham, in verse 3, rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. It says this, it said he rose early in the morning. Abraham knew what it was like to rise early in the morning and deal with his son. If you look in chapter 21, verse 14, Abraham rose early in the morning to drive away his son Ishmael. Now here is another early morning and another errand that God has sent him on. And he rose early in the morning. Parents, what kind of sleep do you think I, uh, Abraham had that night? What was it like to toss and turn all night knowing that God has asked you to do the impossible? And yet he doesn't sleep in. He doesn't make excuses. He rises early in the morning. What was he thinking saddling his donkey? God, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me that you're asking me to do this, Aaron. What was he thinking when he cut the wood for the burnt offering? Cut the wood that he would place his son upon. What was he thinking? Was he so angry that he was smashing the wood to pieces? Or was he in such anguish that he could barely lift the axe? You've got to be kidding me. On the third day, verse 4, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Three days. Three days. Days of agony. Three days of journey. Every step had to be, Lord, let me turn around. Lord, stop this insanity. Lord, what are you asking me to do? What did he do in those three days? Did he grumble? 
Did he say, Lord, Lord, you promised me, you told me to leave my father and everything I knew and I did it. You told me you were going to give me a promised land and there was a famine. Lord, you promised me that I'd have descendants that are more than the stars of the heaven. This is what you're doing, Lord? Lord, I don't get it. I don't understand your blessings. You say I'm going to be a great nation. You say I'm going to have a great family. What are you doing? Was he grumbling? Or maybe he just spent three agonizing days going down memory lane. You know, maybe it's that journey to the doctor's appointment or to the hospital with a child where you know what's going to happen. And oh, it's, just, it's painful. And it's those times sometimes with your kids, you just want to say, Do you remember? Do you remember when? I mean, did he just watch Isaac walk and just remember the first few steps? Did he observe any scars that Isaac might have and just remember that moment and that experience? Did he hear Isaac laugh and just smile and think, that's his name? Three agonizing days. It says he lifted up his eyes and he saw. And I would imagine that the weight of the reality of what God had called him to do had his head down. And as he just processed over and over again, God calling him to sacrifice his son. Verse 5, Then Abraham said to his young man, said to the, his young men, the ones that went with him, stay here with the donkey. And this is beautiful. We've got to see hope. Hope is about ready to come. And I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. What we don't see in the English, which makes very clear in the, Greek, in the Hebrew, is that this is plural. What Abraham is saying is like somehow, I don't know how God's going to do it, but we're going to go worship and we're going to come back. We are going to come back here together, father and son. And maybe he had them stay behind because maybe he realized they'd try to intervene to see that this man has gone insane. That he's going to bind his own son. He's going to take his son's life. And maybe he didn't want to have to deal with them as well. He says, why don't you just stay back here? Verse 6, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they, both, so they went both of them together. Can you picture a story of a son who carries his own wood to sacrifice? Can you not see the beginning of the appearance of Jesus carrying his own cross? Here you have a father placing the wood upon his son, the wood that was designed to consume him. And here you have a father who has the fire in his hand and you know that it's melting his heart. You know that every step is pain. And I I can't help but just think that he's taking his thumb on the knife and says, Lord, may it be sharp. May it be quick. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac says to his dad, his father, the words that he had longed to hear, the words that God had promised that he would hear from his very own loins will come a son. And here is the term of all titles, the blessings of all nations. Nothing compares to father. And there his very own son will utter the words, my father, what did that do to his heart? 
the piercing to hear his name say, My Father. They say, Here I am, my son. Obviously, Isaac was well-trained. He knew about sacrifices. He knew his father was a religious man. He was able to see, okay, I see the fire. I see the knife and the wood. Where is the lamb? In verse 8, and God said, and Abraham said, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both of them, uh, so they went, both of them, together. Most commentators will say, maybe here, Abraham started to let Isaac know, you're the lamb. You're the lamb. But somehow, Isaac, somehow God will provide. And somehow, somehow they both went together. Verse 9, when they came to a place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. This is, this is a common practice for Abraham. God calls him to a place like Bethel and he goes and when he goes there or Hebron he goes and he builds an altar and he makes a sacrifice to God he says God I love you I believe in you my life is a sacrifice to you and now again he has to build an altar imagine the hand shaking imagine building the altar in which he will place his son and imagine bounding the hands of his own son now you got to see that Isaac is probably 25 to 30 years old Abraham's probably a buck 25. He's 125 years old. Clearly, Isaac is willingly laying down his life. There's no way the old man could have taken Isaac. And yet, this is one like a sheep being led to slaughter, like Isaiah 53 will point to, and say that he is silent. And here we see Isaac submitting to his father. And just... Think of a father binding his son's hands. Looking at those hands, the hands of promise, the hands that he held, and placing him upon the altar. Then Abraham reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slaughter his son. Adieu, Isaac. My son, my only son, my beloved son. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. He said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Oh, the urgency and the... Scripture tells us of the angel of the Lord. Most theologians will believe this is deity. This is the pre-incarnate Christ who all too well knows of the sacrifice, his own sacrifice that will take place. The greater sacrifice. But now steps in and intervenes. Verse 12, he said, Do not lay a hand on, lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Oh, a story of a father that's willing to sacrifice a son to show love 
It's a tough story. And I got to tell you, sometimes I read it, I just don't like it. I want to say, you got to be kidding me, God. you got to be kidding me. Can't you find out some way out, uh, some other way? And if you really do know all things, why in the world do you have to say, now I know? You already know. Why go through this charade and this sham? Why bring Abraham through hell? To show of a love of a father that was willing to sacrifice a son. And now we see, as Paul tells us in the book of Romans, all Scripture was written for us too, and we can sit and marvel at the love the Father would have for us. And Abraham again lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up so joyfully as a burnt offering instead of his son. Oh, a sacrifice. That's a substitutionary sacrifice. Oh, a sacrifice that could save. Oh, a sacrifice that could save a life. Does it sound familiar? A substitutionary sacrifice of Jesus so that he, Jesus, can say, let them go. Let them live. I'll die in their place. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of this place the Lord will provide, or the Lord will see. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And if you're looking along in your Bibles, you probably have a footnote there. And it's when, it's when the translators put a footnote in the Bible. It's when the translators can't agree on exactly what it means. And to save their integrity, they put a footnote there, and they put what it also might mean, what it equally could mean. So read those footnotes And as we look down and see where is this place that the Lord will provide, it will also say that the Lord will be seen here. You know what most commentators believe this mountain is? It's Calvary. God is going to be seen here. He's going to be seen. The Son of God is going to be seen here, stretched, pierced, and broken. And we will know. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn. He can swore by no greater name. That's why God swears by himself. By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offsprings as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. Now listen, it's unbelievable. God says, I've seen it. I know for sure. Because of the sacrifice, I'm going to pour out blessings. Blessings to the whole earth. And we can't help but think about the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus that truly does pour out blessings to all the earth. And he says this, the gates of your enemies, they will not stand up to this blessing. And you think of the words of Jesus in Matthew 16 when he spoke to Peter. And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He says, you're right, Peter. God gave you this. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Verse 18. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young man. And they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. An incredible story 
of a father's love for a heavenly father that was willing to sacrifice all. It's a story that points to the ultimate story, the love story of a father that would sacrifice a son for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you. We, 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 the words seem so empty, but we do. We thank you. We thank you that our sin deserves to pay the price and the sacrifice. We thank you that you have provided. God the Father has provided a lamb, a spotless lamb, a beautiful lamb, the lamb of God, your own son, so that sinners like us could live because of his death. Father, thank you. May you be pleased with us as we sing your praises. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, when we look at a life like Abraham, you can look at it from the surface and say, wow, one man blessed to be a blessing to all nations. What does a blessed life from God look like? And you look closely at his life and you realize afresh that maybe God's blessings look different than the way you and I see blessings. I mean, at the end of his life, he's tested in the most significant way. And this is Abraham, father of the faithful. Why is he called father of the faithful? But maybe because when God called Abraham to leave his father, he showed that he loved God more than father, his earthly father. That he would love God enough to leave everything that his father had and all the identity that his earthly father could give him. And he'd love God more. He's the father of the faithful. And when God called Abraham to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son that he loved, the hope of the world, the seed to come, Abraham, the father of the faithful, showed that he loved God more than his beloved son. An incredible love that Abraham would have, truly earning the title friend of God, father of the faithful, father of the nations. But he knew that God would provide. See, God the Father has provided his son Jesus as the Lamb of God. The Gospel of John begins with John the Baptist looking at Jesus and saying, Behold, behold, behold. Stop what you're doing. Look, there he is. There is the Lamb of God. There is the Lamb of God, full of grace and truth, who has come to take away the sins of the world. Behold, this is Jesus, the Lamb of God, who has come to be the sacrifice in our place. Think of the Father's love for us. And we could say the Father's, Abraham's love for the Father, that he was willing to sacrifice his son, and he had the title, he had the title of friend of God. But think of God the Father, who would demonstrate his love for us, not when we were his friends, not when we were part of his family, but when we were sinners, enemies of God. Think of how much deeper that love is that he's going to demonstrate to us by providing the Lamb of God, his own Son. But the amazing part of the story of redemption and the story of the Father's love for us is this, is that God didn't stop his hand. 
But God went through and plunged death into his son, sacrificing his son for us. When we look at Abraham, and we can't help but marvel for a love of God that was so incredible. This righteous man demonstrated through works that he truly had a saving faith. His works did not save him. It just demonstrated that he really had a faith in God providing for him. An incredible love. But God the Father didn't stop. No angel came out of heaven on that cross and said, no, stop everything. This is the innocent Lamb of God. Hold on. That beautiful scandalous night, the father was pleased to crush his son. And what do we know because of it? Well, clearly Abraham tells us that we must hold on to the promises of God very, very tightly. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He'll never change his mind about us. He loves us perfectly, radically. Do you know that? Do you know that in Christ, by his grace, through the work of his son, you are forever his son or daughter? That he has guaranteed a place for you. He has placed his favor upon you. He has separated your sins from you. He's never going to change his mind about you. Hold on dearly. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He has given you life and life abundantly. He will never take it away from you. He has secured your future. He's given you a deposit of the Holy Spirit. Guaranteeing God's blessings. Amen. So hold on to God's promises really, really tightly and everything else loosely. Because God might ask you to place on the altar your hopes, your dreams, your passion, all that you dreamed about coming true. God might say, put it on the altar. What's your Isaac? What's he asking you to sacrifice? We've got to hold on tightly to the promises of God and everything else very loosely. And now we, got, we have, a, have to have a response. We looked at what Christ has done for us. And Paul tells us that we now need to make our lives a living sacrifice. We respond to a father's love by sacrificing the Lamb of God by saying, God, now my life is a living sacrifice to you. Are you living your life in light of that love? Laying whatever you have, whoever you are, on that altar. Saying, God, I'm yours. You've demonstrated this love. I'm living for you. If you're here this morning and you've yet to embrace the remedy and you still are in your sins that, you, that we were, all of us who have embraced Christ. Today's the day that God is calling to you and saying, place your hope and your faith in what God the Father has sacrificed through God the Son so that your sins can be forgiven. So you can have life and life eternally. And no matter what this world brings, knowing that he'll never stop loving you, always provide for you, and embrace him as Savior. This table is a a reminder of what Christ has done. And what we're going to do today is we're going to ask you to come forward in just a few minutes. As a matter of fact, let me ask the uh, elders to come. And let me, as I explain what we're going to do. As the elders come forward, we're going to take communion a little bit differently. uh, Thinking of Abraham and what Abraham has done. Remember, Abraham went on a journey. We're going to ask you to come forward. We're going to ask you to be inconvenienced a little bit. But as you come from maybe the bleachers or from these seats... And you go and the ushers will dismiss you by row, so wait till you're dismissed. As your pastor, I want to challenge you to do this. Think of the sacrifice as you come. Think of that road that Christ walked with that cross to pay the debt for your sins. Come forward. Think of the love that Abraham showed 
to the Father by willing to sacrifice His Son Isaac, but really run quickly to the love the Father has for us by truly sacrificing His Son Jesus. We're going to do the intention uh, method. There'll be some bread representing the, the body of Christ. It should be pre-ripped or torn for you. You can take some bread, uh, dip it into the, to the wine, um, and immediately take. Um, and again, then make your way back to your seats. But may this be a holy moment. Because God has given us this meal. Jesus Christ himself has given us this meal as a reminder of his sacrifice so that we will never forget. It's a sacred meal. It's a meal only for his family. And so if you've yet to embrace Jesus as the remedy, don't take this meal declaring you have to the heavenly host and to Jesus and to all those in here until you have embraced Jesus as Savior. But today's the day. Do it. Embrace him as Savior. Come to him and then come to the table. Uh, Because it's such a holy meal, we're going to ask parents to uh, 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 maybe bring the kids until until they have uh, uh, talked to the elders not to partake or just leave them in the seats. Um, but again, let's be mindful that this is a holy moment that Jesus has given to us. An incredible opportunity. Let me, let me pray for us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your love, and we thank you for the reality of Jesus, the remedy to all of our sin and sorrow and sickness and brokenness. And Father, I know the truth is that I continually forget of your love for us and what Jesus has done. So Jesus, thank you. Thank you for on that night in which you were betrayed, taking bread and and giving thanks to the Father and breaking it and saying this this bread is your body given to us that we should remember. And thank you, Jesus, for taking the cup and and saying that this cup now is, is your blood, the blood of the new covenant in your blood that was shed to take away the sins of many. Thank you for this meal, Holy Spirit, that you feed us, you remind us, you make us more like Jesus because of this meal. So Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would come into this room and use this meal in a supernatural way to make us more like Christ. Father, fill this place. It's logistically going to be maybe a challenge. And God, we ask that your Spirit is here so, so tangibly through the giving of the bread and the wine. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.